You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You hear a corny highway road trip song, and that is your introduction to another edition of a Helium Boys road cast, car cast, whatever you want to call it. We did one of these for Stanford. Shotgun is here in the back seat. I am in the passenger seat. And if you recall from our Stanford car cast, road cast, we had a very knowledgeable USC football uh, Lyft driver who drove us back. We decided, Shotgun, he was so good, so knowledgeable, so talented, we decided to fly him out here to Corvallis, Oregon, and hire him to do the weekend. So, Ryan, thank you so much for uh, coming back. There's something beeping in here. We don't know what's going on. What? I don't know what's going on. It's my seatbelt, I think. <laughs> oh. We might have to start this again. No, there's no cuts in this. This is all going in. As you can tell, there was chaotic in this car, and I think that's a great starting point for today's, uh, tonight's, this morning's car cast. And what we just covered was a wild, crazy, chaotic 17 to 14 win for number seven USC over Oregon State and Riser Stadium, a half pack stadium due to the renovations, but. Those fans showed up full tilt. Those students showed up full tilt. And USC did not have a particularly good offensive night, but they got it done in the fourth quarter. Defense played, I mean, we would say the best they played this season. There's a lot, a lot of things to talk about in only a short amount of time on this hour and a half drive home. But Shotgun, I'll start with you. Can you just give me your initial thoughts or what you're feeling because you did just start this crazy ding, ding, dinging in the car, so you have to start off. Ding, ding, ding. We got a winner. What a great atmosphere. Talking to Chris on the way out of the stadium. Probably one of the top three atmospheres of games that I've covered. And that includes the Oklahoma-Georgia Rose Bowl, uh, some USC-Oregon games that have been really you know, fantastic atmospheres. So I think it was just a fantastic night. I thought the student section, which covers basically the entire bowl, the bottom layer of the bowl um, behind the Oregon State bench, was amazing. They were there probably two hours before the game, at least an hour and a half. As USC was going out for warm-ups, they were there to heckle the USC fans with with chants and and stuff. So I thought it was a fantastic, fantastic atmosphere when the Oregon State scores late with four and a half minutes left or so. The place was going absolutely bananas, absolutely oranges, I guess, because everyone was in orange. It was an orange out. Uh, it was a great atmosphere. I think that was the number one takeaway for me uh, about the game or about the overall experience. And then the game itself, USC finds a way to win. Did not look like they looked on offense the first couple of weeks and still found a way. The defense really stepped up this game and was phenomenal, creating turnovers once again. And Lincoln Riley was asked about the sustainability of that. He said, each week is a new week. You know, we're not looking at last week and trying to build off or not trying to take away what last week did, determine what we can do next week based on that. Each week's its own new week, and they're just going to continue to keep trying to produce a lot of takeaways. They got four more tonight. Four interceptions by four different players. Everyone in that secondary right now, I believe, has an interception. Um, So, you know, it's it's been phenomenal seeing how many different guys have stepped up and made plays and how that whole unit, that whole team is coming together right now. Ryan, Uber driver, um, emerging USC media personality. Thank you so much for driving, first of all, just right off the bat. But can you give me your uh, impressions and just overall reaction to USC's uh, thrilling comeback win. 
Yeah, I was a little shocked at, uh, you know, I thought they were a little clunky on offense last week against Fresno State, and then they still put up 45 points. And, you know, this week, you had said, you know, three games in a row, they had scored on their opening possession, scored a touchdown. And not only that, they followed that up with at least two more. And this time, they didn't score a touchdown until the fourth quarter. And just to see, you know, I thought the, you know, the Oregon State secondary played really well. Um, but man, I, I, I felt like USC's offense just left a lot of points on the table. They just didn't look like they were in sync. They didn't look like things were flowing. And it, you know, it starts with Caleb Williams. But just in general, when we would see USC run plays out there and they looked like they really knew what they were doing and there wasn't false starts, there wasn't uh, confusion. There was a lot more confusion this time. I mean, Lincoln Riley had to score uh, to uh, call three timeouts in the first half. Uh, because play clock's running down, things like that. It just was a little different feel offensively, but what I really took away from what Lincoln Riley said after the game, you know, giving props to the defense for sure, but you got to win games different ways. And this was one of those ones where a lot of stuff wasn't working. You know, you weren't going to score 45 points. You needed the defense to get, you know, four turnovers to zero and you win by three. Like, if the defense doesn't get any of those, I mean, USC's losing this game. And he said great teams, you know, find ways to win when you're not playing your best. And this was certainly not USC's best effort, but they were able to pull out a win. And Shotgun and I talked about this on Instant Analysis. I mean, if this team is any of, if this is any of the teams over the last seven, eight years, there's no way USC would have won the game. But they were able to figure out a way. A lot of things had to go right for them, but people were on the same page. And they, they, they kept working, and they didn't get frustrated with the offense not scoring for three quarters. They were able to put things together, score at the end, finish, like Lincoln Riley said, and then the defense coming up with stop after stop after stop. So, yeah, it was it was a different formula. I think last week was a different formula where USC scored on long drives instead of, like, quick plays. This was, a, you know, well, they didn't score at all, but the, the defense was able to step up, and they were able to win that way. I believe Shane Lee referred to it, speaking about the offense, you know, not being able to punch it in until the fourth quarter was – Obviously, it was an off night for them, but they just kept fighting. And this whole team just kept fighting. But Shotgun, what is the bigger story for you? Was it USC's defense taking a massive step forward and being a defense that can, hey, maybe carry this team in, 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 some, uh, in games where obviously the USC offense isn't clicking as much? Or was it the offense just looking downright unrecognizable from what we've seen in the first three weeks, you know, there was times where USC's offense, you know, obviously struggled that second uh, quarter of the Stanford game, a little bit in the Fresno State game, but this was in a completely different uh, offense that we saw on Saturday night. So what was the bigger story for you? Just an offense that had nothing really going for most of the night or a defense that had everything going for it? I think the bigger story, and I guess it's probably being more optimistic, is the defense. I think the fact that you're, you, you can win in different ways Good teams find a way to win. Great teams can win in different ways. You know, if you get your offense is clicking and you put up 50 points a game, that's great. But what happens that time when they get shut down? Are you going to be able to find a way to win? And if your defense can then carry the load for you, and it's not like you have to score 40 points every game to win, or it's not like you have to hold a team under 15 points to win, you know, those, you know, when you can do it in different ways, it just gives you those those different options of, of being able to find a way to win, being able to, to do different things, and different guys can step up. And that's what you've seen from this team so far is different guys have stepped up in different games. And for the defense to step forward and prove its mettle in a, you know, in a week where a lot of people are talking about, okay, if Oregon State wants to make this a game, they have to make it a shootout. And instead – they, it was a low-scoring affair. They shut down the USC offense for almost the entirety of the night, for three quarters for sure. And the defense held steady and created turnovers. You know, they pushed back the, the Oregon State offense when they got in the red zone a couple of times. 
So there was a missed field goal on a you know a drive that in the fourth quarter when Oregon State had been down inside the 10-yard line and USC's defense kept finding ways to get off the field and did it in different ways. You know, they were able to create a little bit of pressure sometimes and you get a bad throw and Sierra Wright gets an interception. You know, you just have a really good defensive play from Makai Blackman and a one-on-one coverage with Oregon State taking a deep shot. And then you get the tips. You know, Eric Gentry, once again, the big 6'6 frame, seven-foot wingspan. He's in the middle of the field. You got to throw over him. You got to throw around him. He gets his hand on the ball, and Max Williams comes up with the game-clinching interception off of a tip. And, uh, you know, multiple DBs today talked about tips and overthrows. We got to have those. And that's, you know, the saying that Alex Grinch says to the DBs, tells them all the time. And we've seen it multiple times this season where if that ball gets knocked up in the air, there's very few times when the balls hit the ground. You know, there's been one or two, maybe a game at max, where it gets tipped and it just doesn't get intercepted. Where this defense is just so opportunistic right now, but not only just the opportunistic ability to create those turnovers, those takeaways, but just slowing down that Oregon State offense when we didn't know if they could stop the run against anyone. And they held Oregon State's uh, rushing attack, I believe, under 150 yards. Um, and, you know, less than 350 total yards for the you know, Oregon State offense. So I think that they really took a step forward and proved themselves. And I think that's the bigger story because of the potential of this team going forward. I think the offense can get things cleaned up. I think Caleb Williams had a bad game. I think he can bounce back from it. But... We didn't know what the defense could do this season. That was going to be a question mark all season, we kind of thought. Instead, looks like they are growing week after week. And this, you know, the defense still has some playmakers on there and could potentially be a defense that, you know, just creates havoc all season. Yeah, I think that's a really good point in that we learned some. I think we were going to learn something about this team. We didn't know what we were going to learn, either it was an offense or on defense and I think he came away with a really important part about the defense because this was not obviously like you've mentioned a game where the offense was blowing out anyone this was a true knife fight Ryan this was a drag them out knife fight it was ugly it wasn't pretty at all it was clunky it was a little bit dirty and you know you really had to scrap and scrap and scrap for everything that you had in this game and those are games that USC teams, as you mentioned about incident analysis, are not games that USC would win. And I think you learn a lot about, for one, this defense, that they can win a knife fight. And I think sometimes they even, it looked like they were relishing what was happening in this game in terms of, you know, the game was on their backs. It was on them. You could obviously see the the offense not clicking, not moving. So Eric Gentry, these, these these defensive backs, they put it on themselves to go out there and win in a very hostile environment and, and feed off that environment. And, yeah, I mean, this was a good old-fashioned night fight, Ryan. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, when you're talking about you learn about a team. And we talked, you know, when USC went to Stanford, it's a bonding experience. Like, this is a team that's not been together that long. Uh, you know, some of the guys who just came a few months ago. And, and when you go on the road, it's all, it's a business trip. It's only you. It's only your teammates. You're in the hotel. You're in the bus together. You fly together. Uh, there's no family around. There's just, I mean, you're just, you're on a business trip. And it was interesting. I was talking to Taj Washington, who, if you remember in the Rice game, was USC's leading receiver. He was again tonight. Uh, I think it was six catches for like 53 yards, something like that. Um, I don't know the stats in front of me. I'm driving. But, you know, he was the leading receiver. I was talking about that. And you know, some of the adversity that they went through. And he said that they, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of, when your back's against the wall, you learn something about the team. And, and I asked him, like, what did you learn? And, and one of the more interesting answers I've ever got from anybody doing an interview is he said, well, before the game, I wrote this three words down on a piece of paper. And he said he wrote obedience, trust, and resiliency. And he pulled a piece of paper, like, out of his pants and read me the words that he had written down. And he said, you know, looking back, it was like a foreshadowing of how this game was going to play out. And, you know, talking about obedience, they one of the things that they, you know, they do this on defense a lot is basically just you got to do your job, right? You have to do what you were assigned to do. And, and trust, you're trusting that the guy next to you is going to do his job and everyone does their job and, and it's going to be successful. And then perseverance, you know, when you're, even if things aren't going right, you're still able to, power through and 
Uh, I think for him to write that down and to see like what they were able to do, trust each other, uh, you know, do their jobs, and then persevere when things weren't going right. And it obviously wasn't going right for the, for the offensive side for most of the night. I thought that was just a really insightful way to kind of look at this game. And if you just overall, if you're a USC fan, the fact that, you know, I think Shotgun had mentioned someone talked about this being a team of mercenaries. Yeah, I mean, this was, there was like free agency, basically. All these guys coming in from all over the place. But you got to give Lincoln Riley credit. He said he's been more impressed with the culture for this game that they built because of how they had to fight through it. And the fact that they, they built so much team chemistry and that they have fought together and they trust each other. And a guy like Jordan Addison, who won the Blitikoff last year and doesn't really get many touches throughout the whole game, doesn't check out. And he's there willing to catch that touchdown pass at the end of the game. I think that tells you a lot about the makeup of this team. It's not mercenaries. These guys, even though they haven't been together that long, it's, it seems like a band of brothers to me. And uh, I just that was just really kind of insightful. When you can survive a scare like that and with, you know, nothing's going right in a lot of places and you're still able to win, I think this tells you something about this team. And to be a championship team, to be a team that kind of gets to where USC wants to get back to, you have to be able to pull out wins like this on the road when you're not at your best, when you're, you're, you're hampered, you're injured, you're just having an off night. And we haven't, you know, obviously gotten to see that this year because talk about, you know, 180 in terms of road crowds going from a Stanford road game, which was, you know, <laughs> this was just completely 180 where the, the crowd felt very much 60-40 maybe USC and the Stanford didn't have students really on campus and even if there were Stanford students, they, they were not going to be pulling out some of the stuff that these uh, Oregon State uh, Beaver fans and, and, and students were pulling out. We had a guy who ran onto the field after the game and had to be uh, taken away by a bunch of police officers. So just a crazy environment, a crazy post-game thriller, uh, chaoticness on the field. But I do want to talk a little bit about the offense and the struggles. But I think I would just want to kind of focus in on that. The fourth quarter, we know for three quarters, this offense was... Let's let it was butt Ryan. I think <laughs> that's, that's that, it, it was it was pretty butt. <laughs> just everything seemed off, you know. Outside of maybe Travis Dye, who had a couple of big runs, Caleb Williams had some throws that were behind. They were really late in getting to the to the to the ball for the snap. Uh, Lincoln had to burn all those timeouts really early in the in the first half. So definitely not as clean and crisp as USC fans have come to know early on in this Lincoln Rally era, but. Fourth quarter USC, fourth quarter offense, really didn't fully turn it on all the way, but they did enough to get down the field. And let's talk about that fourth that fourth down run and Caleb Williams coming through with the run. But Brett Nealon, the Nealon nudge, not 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 quite the bush push, but I think it's going to go down as a very memorable play for USC fans. Just, just a super heads-up play, and you got to love when an offensive line just kind of has that recognition to just pull over and know that they have to do their part to help get it over the line. Yeah, I, I think the the rule change that offensive linemen have loved the most in the last decade has been the ability that you can now push an offensive player forward. So the bush-push obviously is no longer um, anything that would cause controversy. You're allowed to push your teammates. So offensive linemen love it, and someone gets held up. All right, I get a chance to go and just you know push this pile forward, and you see it all the time. You see you know a, a you know a couple extra yards here or there where a place is kind of stuffed, and you know the defense is not getting the player to the ground. Well, this is not just a couple of yards. This is a couple of yards on a fourth down play where Caleb Williams is basically right at the sticks, and if he falls forward, hey, he's picking up that first down. But Oregon State does a great job of standing them up. He tries to spin away, basically, and they, you know, they have three defenders there, basically standing him up to keep him from getting to this. They're trying to make sure he's going backwards so that he doesn't fall forward to get this first down. And then here comes the lineman, and it's Brett Elon is coming from seven, eight yards back, and you know is going to get this push with uh, with Caleb Williams. 
but it's also Jonah, Jonah Monheim. It's also Andrew Voorhees. Everyone is the strain. Strain is the word that USC's coaches use all the time. That Alex Grinch loved that. Especially that. on the defensive side, uh, Alex Grinch. That's his, you know one of his favorite words about what he wants the defense to do. And you see it from the offensive linemen to say, hey, I got to go help make this last play. And, you know, several of those offensive linemen have been banged up a little bit. We saw Justin Dietrich, you know, basically had to come out for one play and he's been, been was hobbling up and down the field, came out for one play and was like, no, 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 I got to get back in there. And was immediately back in there, even though he was limping along the way. I saw John Monheim at one point limping a little bit. So those offensive linemen have been taking some, some beats and bangs out there. You know, Cortland Ford is still not back. We did see him dressed, but it seemed like he was just an, another emergency usage for him if needed. Uh, and Bobby Haskins, after leaving last week's game, was able to play the entire uh, night at left tackle. And USC's offensive linemen made the big plays when they needed to. You know, Caleb Williams was under duress a lot for the night, and part of that was him holding on the ball a little bit too long on some things. But the offensive line opened up holes for Travis Dye. He ran for 100 yards for the third straight game. But then the big play on a fourth down, when you need your offensive lineman, hey, it's the fourth quarter. They've been, you know, straining and, and battling for 59 minutes, 58, 57 probably at this point. And to take it upon themselves that I'm going to go sprint seven yards. Offensive lineman hate sprinting anytime. <laughs> But I'm going to go sprint seven yards to push my quarterback and push him over the, the yard marker to get us the first down. And then it, it's obviously one of the huge, one of the biggest plays in the game. And then it becomes, uh, you know, a, a tiny bit of a footnote because a couple plays later, USC is able to get into the end zone with a brilliant throw. We talked about how Caleb Williams just wasn't sharp tonight, but he was brilliant on his final throw of the night. It was a whole shot throw. You know, the one that they practice in the camps, the one that the, you know you do in practice where it's either, hey, you got to drop it in the bucket or you got to fire it in there to get it between the safety and the cornerback and the cover two, and that's what he had, cover two. Jordan Addison told me after the game that, hey, he tried to have late hands. He was trying to be really slow with his movements as far as to not alert the DB that was coming over the safety. And he threw his hands up at the last moment to make the catch. He said it was a perfect throw, hit him in the chest. He's able to get into the end zone, and he waves away to the, the crowd to tell them. And he said, it's time to go home. Pack it up. You could hear a pin drop in the in Riser Stadium with but, that drew. But could you hear a chainsaw drop? That's the real question. <laughs> a chainsaw out there, and a lot of the USC defenders in particular mimicking the uh, chainsaw motion that a lot of the students do uh, when they rev up the chainsaw for the third downs. What was driving me crazy is they were so loud and it was only half the stadium. But, like, I'm watching from far away and every time they would have, like, what seemed like a big play, they would go crazy. But it would only be, like, a two-yard game. Yeah. It was go. It was, like, it was driving me crazy. I don't know why. Oh, by uh, the way, you're the expert. You're the football expert, USC football expert. But I, I believe they pronounce it Research Stadium. Research Stadium. Yes. Just to do, you know. But no, it's I don't fine. Want to step, I mean, no, you it's fine. It's, you can step on I'm just door. a... Lift driver. But I know that you yeah, actually... You, you know geolocations and stuff. That's yeah. why you know names so well as a lift driver. He's, he's, dro he's dropping a bunch of people off at uh, Research Stadium. Did I say that right? Yes, he did. Uh, but even though you are a, a humble uh, lift driver, I know that you're actually in the stadium for the Bush Push. You got you got some, like, ticket hookups or whatever. Yeah. Well, So what was better in person, the Neil and Nudge or the Bush Push? No, I mean, the, I mean, the Neil and Nudge, it was a big deal. Uh, you know, it's not... Push, push, obviously beating Notre Dame. That was a big, you know, that was a huge, you know, you're, you're talking about a 34-game win streak and all that stuff and going for the three-peat and everything. So you're not going to pass the, the Bush Push. You got, you know, one Heisman Trophy winner pushing another one. Uh, but Also, if, final play, touchdown. Yeah, I mean, this, to win the game. But you, Guys, I was, how, being, I was being sarcastic. But I how, know it's not. But how important Just making sure. this was, was huge. Like, that's... That was fourth and ball game. It was like a fourth and five, fourth and six. It's not like Caleb Williams was going back and throwing dimes and you know converting like we were before. Like this was one, you know, he was you know, running for his life sometimes. He was doing a really good job getting away from pressure quite often. But this was one where they were stacking things up and he was hit well short of the line to gain. And if he doesn't make that first down, it's pretty much game over. So that was you know heads up play by Brett Nealon. I mean you got to. 
a guy that's been around the program for eight, nine years, however long he's been around there, you get you know you pick up some things. You get some smarts. Not quite eight or nine, Ryan. Let's not go <laughs> that far because people might believe you with the fact that you know you do have six year seniors around on the team, yeah. including Brett Nealon. It's not his fault. He's just an Uber driver. He's not around the program. <laughs> he doesn't know how long they play. He doesn't know how long they play. But before we jump into some questions, I feel like some people asked us some questions. I know we're going to get asked about it, so let's just talk about it right now. What do we think was up with Caleb Williams tonight? Do we think it was just the environment? We did not get to speak with him after the game. He's usually on the on the podium presser, but he was not tonight. That was Travis Dye, Eric Gentry with uh, Lincoln Riley. We'll obviously be you know requesting to talk to him this week in practice. Probably will not get him to Wednesday, so we can kind of you know reevaluate his game, look at the film, and talk more about it. But it just seemed like he was slightly off. You know, there were some passes that were, you know, behind receivers. They just did not seem like they were on the same page. Obviously, they were a little bit late getting to the snap. There was a couple of uh, moments where it looked like he was frustrated. You know, I just kind of felt like maybe the the environment, the road game was kind of, uh, you know, definitely affecting not just him, but the, the whole offense in, in general uh, on, on, on Saturday. Does anyone have any theories of their own as to why maybe slightly off, not slightly off, just very off for this offense and Caleb Williams. I mean, to me it was about the comfort level. Like, I think when you would see the first couple games how smooth everything was, not just you know how the plays got in, where guys were lined up, you know, the environment certainly was you know, contributing to that. The Stanford road game wasn't a real road game. You could do it, you know, you could yell whatever you wanted. But road game light. You could hear, I mean, you could see Caleb Williams like going to Travis Dye and like basically yelling into his ear, telling him what to do, trying to tell the offensive lineman what's going on, trying to make hand signals. But even, I think Lincoln Riley admitted there was, you know, stuff that the coaches could have done better. Guys might have been running into the play late. That's why the play clock would go down. I think it wasn't just Caleb Williams, but when things weren't, if things just weren't running as efficiently, running as smoothly, and you didn't see that. There wasn't the comfort level where you're calling a play and everyone knows what they're doing. It's kind of like everyone's sort of figuring it out and the play clock's running down and then you, you call hike and then you try to make the play work. And, you know, he felt rushed. If there, you know, there was a lot of, there was quite a bit of pass rush. They were blitzing guys you know, and getting into the backfield. And he did a great job. One of them, I think he had to duck under the guy and then take off and run. Um, there's, I mean, there were some opportunities, though. I think he could have run. He threw a, on the missed field goal drive, I think he threw a strike, tried to throw a strike to uh, Mario Williams in the end zone. And uh, he was double covered, but Caleb Williams had escaped the rush and was running up. He could have just run up the middle himself and got the first down. Right. Uh, but the, in general, to me, it was just, it didn't seem comfort. You know, sometimes if you're playing a game or whatever sport, things kind of slow down and you're not like rushing things. Everything felt rushed. Everything felt like, you were, it was like a fire drill, and it just, he wasn't clicking on a lot of that stuff. And so that, that to me, it just didn't look, you didn't have that comfort level. Everything looked rushed, it looked hurried, and uh, that's that, that's the biggest problem I saw. I think when you look at it, one, you got to remember he's a young quarterback, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he got flustered at times. I think he threw a couple really nice balls early, one just over the outstretched hands of Taj Washington down the sideline. Another one on a uh, fourth down play, which would have been called back because of an illegal shift, but he hits Mario Williams in the hands at the sideline. Mario didn't come up with the, the catch. So, you know, when, when you don't, when you have a younger quarterback, even though Caleb Williams seems very mature for his age, he's, he hasn't played a full season um, of, of football as far as starting games. He's got, I think, seven or eight, nine, somewhere in there right now. I think now. we forget that as well. I think yeah, a lot of USC fans I think that. that's kind of overlooked because of how sharp he can be at other times and how you know media savvy he is and how mature he is just as a person. Um, but I, I think when things don't go well early for young quarterbacks, then it can snowball on itself, especially when you're on the road in a hostile environment. And then when you start getting pressure on a quarterback, that even just it, it exacerbates it even more and accentuates the struggles that he was having. So then suddenly the rush is getting there quicker. Suddenly you're feeling that pressure. You're not keeping your eyes downfield. You're looking to escape. 
you know, you look, you know, all those things start just kind of piling up for you. So I think that's kind of what happened to him. And I thought it was interesting. You know, they showed on the broadcast um, in the fourth quarter with Lane, uh, Lincoln Riley talking to Caleb Williams on the sideline with him sitting on the bench and having kind of a one-on-one conversation there, not standing up beside each other. This was Caleb sitting on the bench, Lincoln kind of hovering over him and talking to him. Um, you know, much more of a instead of an equals, which a lot of time it seems like their relationship is very equal, uh, where they kind of exchange ideas back and forth. This was a mentor to mentee type of uh, relationship here, coach to player. And, you know, Lincoln Riley was asked about it, and he said, he told him that, hey, we've been in these situations before, you know, just go make plays, basically. And Caleb Williams looked different on that last drive, it felt like. He took the quick, easy throws to Taj Washington in the slot to get things going. And then when they hit on that, then suddenly you can hit on the little bit deeper throw to Taj Washington in the middle of the zone. And, you know, I think that one of the things that didn't help Caleb Williams was the play calling in the first half. I thought when Travis Dye goes off on the first run, you go, okay, let's continue doing this because of the way that, you know, Oregon State was mostly staying in a too high safety look, you know, from the look of it on the field, you got to attack that. Now, USC did some things where they spread out, they, you know, they, they actually flexed out the tight end much more than they have previously so far this season. I think the, the idea was to flex out and separate, uh, spread out the defense, and then attack it with the run. But they were getting some looks that, you know, that I, I guess Caleb Williams just wasn't as comfortable with and just was struggling to, to be able to read everything really quickly and decipher and make the correct decisions on. But saying all that, looking at his stats, which are not great, I think it was 16 for 36, 180 yards, but no turnovers. Don't forget that. And he, the sacks that he eliminates with his elusiveness in the backfield, how that keeps drives alive, whether it's you know getting back to the line of scrimmage or gaining four or five yards. The play that we're talking about with the Neyland nudge was a play where he takes off scrambling up the middle because the pocket was collapsing on him and there was not an open receiver. I mean, there was a couple times where he juked guys out of their shoes. There's one uh, one or two times where he's like leaping over a uh, the outstretched diving attempt of a defender. Think about the last three or four Q- QBs at USC and who would have done that? None of them. Caleb can do those things and how much that continues that drive. And that's something that we've talked about in the past when USC had Keaton Slovis or JT Daniels about, you know, the ability to, to just scramble and, you know, keep keep your offense from having that big negative play that just destructs a drive. Caleb Williams can do that where some of those other guys weren't able to. So he did some positive things, but he just wasn't as sharp. And I think it was because everything kind of started piling up on him and he was a young guy and that's what happens to young players. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Even when he's off, he can still be that dude, that guy. And uh, you saw that with the very last throw. I mean, that's you know an NFL caliber throw, hitting you know your top receiver before the safety can get over there. And it was an anticipation throw as well. He saw the the cornerback bite, and the throw the ball was coming out almost as soon as the cornerback makes his move to sit down in the cover two zone. So that was a very, very much an anticipatory throw, and that's what you you know, expect out of Caleb Williams. The fact that you didn't see that all night was what was surprising, but for him to you know to find the moxie you know at the at the end fourth quarter drive, and this is the. 
you know, this wasn't a Heisman type of game, but that's the Heisman type moments that you need to have to keep your team from having a loss. We saw it from Bryce Young a couple weeks ago with against Texas, making the big play when you haven't really had a very successful, uh, successful day to that point. And I think Caleb Williams did that on that final drive. You know, he had a great final drive, whereas, you know, earlier in the game, he really struggled. You say Moxie, I say chutzpah. The chutzpah <laughs> to make that throw. Uh, Shotgun, as my fellow helium boy, do you mind pulling up some of those questions that I put out on my Twitter or that I tweeted out to, sh- to send us some questions? I don't know how many people send us questions at 1230. Remember, you don't have to do all of them. I have not checked them since we started, so I have no idea if there's any questions there. Ryan, can you just kind of give a little bit of a color as to the our surroundings right now? What do, what do you see? What do you see now that we're We are driving, uh, yeah. It's one eighteen in the morning. Uh, we're on I-5 going uh, north back up to Portland. Yeah, one, uh, we're going to arrive at 206. You know, at about like 15 minutes ago as Shotgun was talking, we're driving down the freeway and some guy's riding a bike on the side. So that was kind <laughs> of interesting. We just saw a woman. I don't know, did anyone see that woman just walking the street, the, yeah. the highway? This is a weird, this is a weird stretch of, uh... Yeah. It is, it is Portland. It is, it is Portland. 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 There, there, look, I've liked the city so far. I've liked Oregon so far. But there are some, uh, some characters in this state, but there's characters in all states. Yeah, there's definitely some characters here. It was, you know, I think the... We're powering through with those Voodoo Donuts that were left over from this morning. Shout out to Voodoo Donuts. Yeah. All right, since you guys are going to mention the food, we did have a question. Okay. start with a food question from Shawist. What food did you eat, plan to eat, on your current road trip? What food did we eat or plan to eat? Yep. I had today a Voodoo Donut this morning, a Voodoo Donut after the game, and two tacos somewhere in between. So I've had two donuts and two tacos. Yeah. Well, I sort of anticipated in going to what Portland is known for, and that's food carts. And uh, Ryan, food carts. Carts. They're not trucks. Like, a picture, like, where you would go where, like, a a bunch of food trucks would be hanging out. You know, you could kind of pick. It's like that, but they're not trucks. They're, like, little carts that they set up, and they're, like, in a little enclosed area. You can park, you walk in, and, and the whole thing is just food carts and you can go and pick what you want so Ryan and I went on like a mandate yesterday it was good we had a couple beers I got some lamb uh, lamb plate hero yeah hero stuff it was good but yeah it was legit and then shout out to USC Psycho we went to his tailgate and uh, got some tacos there and the chef Brian and his wife uh, from Washington I believe they, there, they live in Tacoma and they work with me at the Lions Center when we were in college many, many moons ago, which is very strange. I get a lot of people saying, hey, I recognize you from blah, blah, blah. Brian, the chef, recognized me from working at the Lions Center. Him Bef- and his wife both worked there. Before you were famous, Ryan. Before I was famous. No, you, yeah, you, before you were famous, man. Yeah. Uh, but it's good. It's, it's funny, like, come up and all the people that come up to you in the tailgates and stuff, we had a lot of fun with that. So, But that was a, that was a unique one. This, someone told me that they worked with me back in college in like 1990 the 90s yeah. a shout out from the tailgate to uh, Andrew Voorhees mother who was very nervous about this game and she was rightfully so what a, what a game it was now let's jump into some of these questions and I'm going to just bundle all these together we just talked about Caleb Williams but a lot of the questions are crunch time Trojan what is up with Caleb his mechanics look a little bit off Mies- Missing some easy throws, some harder ones tonight, and late in the game against Fresno. Troy asked, not to sound like Seinfeld or anything, but uh, what's the deal with Caleb Williams right now? So, you know, multiple questions on here about Caleb Williams. We just talked about some things there. And I think one of the things that was noted there at crunch time, mentioning the mechanics. I yeah. think that's one of the things he has to clean up a little bit. Uh, you know, when you're as talented as someone, as talented as a thrower as Caleb Williams is, Sometimes you throw with just the arm. You don't use the mechanics. You throw off platform, and he has struggled throwing off platform this season. He just not has not been as accurate when he's on the move, on the run, off platform, and that's something that has to be cleaned up. To where he has to, you know, just he has to get those shoulders square and be able to be able to throw, even if you're on the move, be able to keep your mechanics underneath.
underneath you so that you can make those throws. And that just feels like also just the level of consistency. Like sometimes when you're under duress or you're you're in a hostile environment or there's a lot of pressure, sometimes you can get a little sloppy with it and kind of yep. forget to do things. You know, that goes in all sports, you know, pitching, uh, baseball, all that kind of stuff. You can get a little sloppy and the mechanics go when you're kind of focused on other things. So the keys kind of be like focus on staying consistent every time. And obviously, as we mentioned, young player, that'll come or, or that will come as you work on that. Well, yeah, you I know, mean, one aspect that I want Shotgun to kind of look at this when he watches the film again. This offense, I mean, I don't think they were great against Fresno State, but they got things done. Uh, obviously, they had a struggle of bus tonight. Uh, corresponds with Corlin Ford going out of the game, too, and not seeing him in there. Now, he was only playing half the time because him and Bobby Haskins switched, but to me, it seemed like Caleb Williams was rushing a little bit more. He, you know, when, when he was getting sacked against Fresno State, um, he felt like the, his internal clock sort of sped up, and things just looked like they weren't um, going as smooth. So even if the rush wasn't there, he might be you know running out of the pocket throwing off platform like you guys said but rushing it and then throwing it at a guy's feet or something like that so and I don't think I saw any of that when it was a rotation of Gordon Ford and Bobby Haskins so I don't know if that has anything to do with it but it could you know use it, losing your starting left tackle might have something to do with it interesting it's a interesting. great point there Ryan uh, we'll take a look and see you know what the uh, yards per play and whatnot has been uh, different so far this season with Cortland Ford and Bobby Haskins. Obviously, it'll be a little bit different uh, with this game added in for Bobby Haskins just as they did not move the ball as well. Jimmy Bones want to know, as someone that couldn't watch the game today, RIP, Pac-12 Network, I don't, not quite RIP, but close. It's a Keeley uh, RIP. Yeah, that's true. What's a takeaway from today that was noticeable in person but won't show up in the box score? Oh, something that was noticeable today but won't show up in the box. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is the atmosphere. Okay. Uh, not necessarily the play on the field, but the atmosphere was incredible, was vulgar, was everything you want a college football. Uh, a lot of phallic references. A lot of <laughs> a phallic, phallic references. Um, it was The student section I thought was incredible. They were out there early, like I said, so... Uh, I, I think that the atmosphere is not going to show up unless maybe you point you point at the you know delay games and the timeouts that USC had to use because of the delay games. I think you know the disconnect of the offense before the snap. And that's something we haven't really seen so far this season. I don't think that'll show up in the box score, but I think the atmosphere played into that. But that's I think that's a good answer there for that one as well. I would say very quickly, just like body language, just looking at the guys on the sideline. You know, obviously the, the the offense was struggling and whatnot. I don't know what that was that you almost ran over, but I didn't see anybody like hunched over or you know down on themselves or anything like that, which I've which you could see in the past with past USC teams. Everyone seemed to stay up. Even though, you know, things weren't going right, everyone seemed to have sort of this positive uh, dis- disposition and weren't really getting down on each other or anything like that. So I think that's something that uh, will not show up in the box score. We got what an impact on recruiting. Interested to hear what you think. The recruits who watch this game, none of them watch this game. One, it was on the Pac-12 <laughs> networks. Yeah. And recruits don't tune in unless they're committed they're not really tuning in to a Pac-12 network game in particular for this. They're flipping around to see all the other teams that are, you know, that are recruiting them and whatnot. And, you know, I don't think that there were some kids that were there in person. I think they, you know, probably are impacted by this. But the biggest thing will be the recruits will look and they'll see maybe the stats or they'll see the highlight clips from it. And they say, ooh, USC won at the end. And so I think they'll be excited about that. But you know, overall, recruits, I don't think, will necessarily have a big impact from this game in particular, besides the fact that USC is now 4-0. They stay ranked in the top 10, potentially could move up. I don't know what all the, you know, if there are any upsets ahead of them. I haven't really seen the full college football. Oklahoma sport. lost. Oklahoma did lose. That's one. So that's one. So, you know, I don't know if the way Clemson played, if that helps USC move up to number five or anything. But they're, they're at least top 10, maybe top five now. So I think that's what recruits will take away from it. And just so you know, recruits do not care about the games like you care about them. If, if you're USC, even a commit, they're like, they might be 50-50 if they know if USC even won. They're watching some. 
they're not diehards like you as a fan. So don't look at recruits as the same way, the same lens that you're looking at the game, where you're like, well, the USC defense forced these turnovers, but they gave up all these trick plays. The recruits don't follow that. They don't know. Like they, they probably know who won, and that's about it. Also, just a quick plug to my USC recruiting podcast, the Composite Two Star Recruits. will be talking about this game and the recruiting angle uh, with Gerard Martinez, who will probably have a piece out uh, by the time tomorrow. We will have a recruiting angle tomorrow about nice. uh, this game. So, And we'll talk about it on Composite Can you do a four-hour Composite podcast? Don't tempt them. <laughs> B-Sauce you, you, Mr. Longy talking as well. I've never gone three hours. All right. B-Sauce's burner wants to know, talk about how we should fix our kick punt return. I got it. I got this one, guys. Okay, okay. Open a hole, run through it. There you go. There we go. There you go. Andrew Armilla wanted to know. Real quick, the, real, the special teams. I thought, you know, they. this was the first situation where, you know, Dennis Lynch misses that first field goal. This was a pressure one. This was one to take the lead. This wasn't like you're up by 28 points. Um, so I think you got some adversity there, but... The coverage was actually pretty good. You know, Oregon State had, had some some good kickoff returns. The return game is, is terrible, which that's you know I don't know why you have uh, Brendan Rice back there returning kicks or whatever. But the return game was bad. But they did cover pretty well, and I thought Sleep Dalton did a pretty good job punting. There was a one where he was you know backed up in his own end zone, but otherwise like you know they there were some pressure punts where it actually mattered, and I thought they did a pretty good job with all that stuff. So they you know it wasn't terrible, but the return game that's bad. I think they should put Prophet Brown back there. Somebody. Okay. Andrew wanted to know, on the broadcast, they talked about how the field has a crown and it could have led to Caleb not feeling comfortable throwing all day. Do you think this mattered or made any difference? What was the first part of that? A crown in the field. the field has a crown. A crown? I thought yeah. they all do. Yeah. The Basically, every football field has a crown. It's crowned so that the water will run off the field rather than sit and have puddles. So, especially high school fields are very much ground. If you you know if you lay down on the one sideline, you can't actually see the other sideline because of the the crowning of the field. I don't think that's really a big deal. Quarterbacks are you know used to throwing on a variety of fields. All their camps and stuff are done. You know, in the off season are done at high school fields and stuff. So I don't think it's something that really stands out um, as something that I think had an effect. Just me personally. I never have heard a quarterback be like, ah, the crown, the crown. The damn crown. Except for those that are, you know, anti-Britain or something. R.I.P. to the queen. Yeah, or not. Mark wanted to know, pump for the win. And what an atmosphere in Corvallis. It was loud. The offense looked unprepared for the noise tonight. It quickly looked like a prize fighter on the ropes. Do you think this was the case? And what can the, do, the team do to prepare for Utah? Glad Trevino played tonight. Oh, got a shout out for playing tonight. I will say that on Wednesday we did hear them uh, revving the uh, the, the chainsaw in practice, but it did not come close to being as loud or annoying as it was on Saturday. So they got to get their speaker volume bumped because it wasn't even a tenth of what it was uh, oh, uh, um, on, on Saturday night. I, I think this does help prepare them for Utah. Um, and, you know, gives them – Utah should be even louder uh, just because the must should be going crazy the last game that they'll potentially host USC as a Pac-12 opponent. The, the stakes that will be on the line for that game. So this is a good prepper for it. You know, going to Stanford was not you, – you wouldn't want to go to Stanford and that be your first road game and then the next one be Utah, I think. So even though this one was a – a hell of an atmosphere and daunting. I think it is actually good prep for them going forward for when they go to Utah and then eventually later in the season when you play UCLA, if UCLA continues to play, you know, at least win. I don't, I'm not going to say that they're playing well, but if they continue to win. We just destroyed a moth. Yeah, that was a big splat. That was a big old splatter. You might be able to hear it on the thing. <laughs> there was a lot of moths at the Reacher Stadium like afterwards, too. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what yeah, that's. Yeah, I like. got hit with one in the back of the neck during some analysis. Ryan didn't even uh, blink an eye. Didn't even phase him. Uh, two more we got. Okay. Let's see here. Um, Bisanana, Bisanaha, I guess. Uh, uh, why do you think the coaches don't use Relik as a kick returner instead of Rice? Thoughts? Got to talk to uh, Relik's dad at the tailgate. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, he came in and it was some weird situations, too. Like, he kind of ran between the tackles. Yeah, I didn't really They tried to throw him a ball that was, like, at his feet. I, I don't know. He's. I don't think he's 100% healthy yet. And then they just sort of, like, tried to kind of shoehorn him in. He came into with a couple a couple plays where him and uh, Austin Jones were in the backfield at the same time. Like, they handed it once to Jones, and they handed it to Rayleigh, the, the next one. But, yeah, I... I think they could potentially use him there, but I think it's probably going to be once he's fully healthy, which I don't think he quite is yet. But wasn't Rice, like, a good kick returner at yes. Colorado? And this is why, you know, he, he's gotten a couple of chances so far. You know, it, the, what you want on a kickoff return is straight line speed and the ability to break one tackle usually. And I think Brendan Rice can do both of those. You don't want a guy that's going to be back there dancing because there's 11 guys that are going to be swarming and get there. You know, there's there's very few Dante Hall, you know, or uh, Devin Hester-esque returns on a kickoff return in college. You don't have those where you're bejuking five or six guys. You get those on the punt return maybe, but not on a kick return. It's all about catching the ball, creating a hole, having straight line speed to be able to run through that hole, and then maybe you break one tackle along the way. So I think Brendan Rice fits that mold very well, and he was a very good kick returner. Um, you know, had one of the top ten, I want to say, kick return averages while he was at Colorado. Obviously, at Colorado, he got plenty of opportunities because teams were scoring lots. So, you know, I, I think that he's perfectly fine being back there. They just need to block a little bit better on those kick returns, and then that'll open some things up for whoever is back there returning. Good insight, Shadi. And then John Donsig wanted to know which one player on defense is the most indispensable. And then I'll tell you who his money is on after you guys answer. Ooh, uh, I think I'm going to go with Tuli Tui below two. There was a lot of pressure. He got a couple of tackles for loss, I think, again, if I don't have the stats in front of me. Um, I think he just had a, a, a big game. Now, there was highlight plays with all the interceptions and stuff, but there was a lot of pressure on Chance Nolan tonight uh, in most cases. Sometimes he just got got rid of the ball right before the pressure got there and the coverage wasn't quite there. Um, but I think he's a big part of why, if you're going to rush a quarterback uh, and you force him into weird throws and then throw some picks, I think he's a big part of it. So to me, he's probably the most indispensable. Just so we don't like sort of pick the same person, that's who I would probably pick. But just for the sake of saying someone else, you know, I think Eric Gentry is obviously becoming a star for this defense. He was a, you know, breakout star last year as a true freshman for Arizona State. Speaking of which, he has a big reu- reu- uh, yes. reunion. Reunion. Thank you. Thank you, Helium Boy. A reunion game with Arizona State uh, for this coming, this next week, but just so long. Got his first pick today. Huge leader on the sideline in games, and just really starting to take the middle of that defense and make it his own. So, if I had to pick someone else, I would go with number so eight. So, John went with Eric Gentry. He said that's who his money is on. I think the answer. Go with Gentry and say because of the linebacker issues USC has had in the last couple of years and the fact that he does so much for them, but I still think the answer is Tuli Tui below two. Added to the tackle for loss tally that he has, you know, it was in the top ten nationally, I think it was, coming into the day. Um, you know, it had at least one in the game. I can't remember if he had any more. I watched one play in particular where I was focused on him shooting photos and just destroyed, you know, a kind of a pass-off block from the right tackle to the right guard. Just beat the, the tackle, went straight by the guard, was in the face of Chance Nolan. He did get rid of the ball in time. But, you know, his his ability to affect the pass rush, his ability to stop the runs, and that's coming from the weak side sometimes to get some of those chasing things down. But then the fact that you, you can use whoever's playing well on defensive line gets to play. 
It doesn't have to be the guys that are playing best in a certain position. It's just whoever's playing well, and then we'll move Thule to fill in wherever else because he's, he's he can do anything for you on that defensive line, play any different spot. So that's why he's indispensable. But I, had a, I, I thought of a really good question. I think it's a good question. Who would you rank, or how would you rank, I guess, the transfers that USC has had by impact? Because, like, what would your top five ranking be for impact transfers right now? Because, you know, this was initially came up with this question during the Makai or during the Stanford game early in it. And I said, Makai Blackman's got to be in the top three, right? Along with Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison. But then Eric Gentry's making a ton of plays. Yeah. I think Shane Lee had 12 tackles tonight for USC yeah. to lead the team. Um, Solomon so, Bird, obviously. Solomon Bird with three sacks the last two weeks coming into tonight. So a lot of options there. Mario Williams has a touchdown. You know, and has multiple games where he's had some big catches. So a lot of options. But where? What's your ranking of the impact transfers so far? I think Gentry's got to be up there now. It's funny. Alex Grinch even talked about that being like the model going forward. You know, they were talking about his length and. He started talking about you know how he can affect the passing lanes and get his hands on balls, and then he sort of checked himself and was like, "It's not just because he's tall; like he's in the right spot too." But it's just that length up. So, and he, but he kind of joked that like that's sort of like the pro, like you know when you're run, people are running like Tampa two, you're trying to like cover the middle. Like you got a six foot six middle linebacker, and you could change the game. So it's sort of he was kind of making a joke about that. But I think Gentry's moved his way up there. I mean Caleb Williams. Jordan Addison, I would have them one too, but I think you could go a bunch of defensive players after that. I mean, I'm not really going to factor in Caleb because obviously Caleb's one. So, like, if I'm assuming I'm not picking Caleb because obviously he's a starting quarterback, it'd probably be Addison, Gentry, Blackman, Bird, Die. I would go maybe. Lee, maybe. Lee yeah, we didn't even mention Travis. I mean, Die. Yeah, Die's got to be up there too. Yeah, we haven't really mentioned Travis Dye. I mean, that's... Three straight 100-yard games. Which, uh, again, man running. Which, again, goes back to the mercenary comment of, you know, USC brought in all these different guys, but look at the impact they're having and the fact that everyone, you know, you say, okay, well, you throw these guys in and they get theirs, you know, and the team doesn't win, but they're getting their numbers or whatever. That's not the case. These guys are putting up numbers. They're the heart and soul of the team. You know, the, you got multiple captains that are that are transfers. So it's been very interesting how this roster has come together, but it's come together and it's working. And the transfers are all making big impacts as well. And we're even seeing some of the guys that have been written off a little bit, like Earl Marquette making a couple of plays. You know, he had a you know he helped with a stunt that had a big pressure that created that Sierra Wright uh, interception. So you know, he and Solomon Burton, two two. Uh, transfers there combining on a stunt that leads to a poor throw and Sierra Wright gets his first uh, career interception so you're seeing just those guys that they brought in they brought them in for a reason right and you're seeing the the impact that they're having but you talked about Gentry he might be an absolute game changer and I mean that in football if he can, and I don't know what the NFL scouts think of him. If they think he can stay as a middle linebacker, or if they have reservations, they think he has to be anywhere else. But if he can, he becomes a true prototype, new position. Like in, you know, similar to when Michael Vick was in the NFL, you had to change your defense. You suddenly had to have a Thomas Davis as a linebacker that could run with him. So you had to move a safety to a linebacker position. So Eric Gentry. With all the attributes that he has, will he be a game changer that changes the way people look at a middle linebacker? It's not, hey, he's got to be that six foot, two hundred twenty pound, short squat, makes the plays in the hole, but can he do a little bit of everything like Eric Gentry can have? Which would be really interesting. It will be really interesting to watch because obviously he's still young, lots of room to grow and develop and add weight. Maybe become six foot nine. I don't know. We'll see. But yes, you're right. A, a six foot six linebacker, you don't see it every day, and could be, you know, the mold for some teams moving forward. If you can find players like that and try them out at a middle linebacker. Guys. That, that's all the questions that we have. It's super late. 
We still have a little bit ways to go in our journey before we reach where we got to go. Shotgun's got a flight in a shotgun. Three hours, two and a half hours. Going back across the country. So we won't see you in a minute, but you will be at Utah. Your first trip to Utah should be exciting. You know, there's a good chance USC 6-0 going into that game. They still need to get past a literal dumpster fire that is Arizona State and then a scrappy Washington State team. That blew it today. They cooed it. Cooking it. Cooking it. Against so, Oregon today. Ironically, as we are passing through this this state. <laughs> so, actually, I see the... Uh, is this Orion? See this... Constellation. Uh, you can see stars here. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Said the three, well, the two yeah. former LA. Los Angeles. Never mind. Okay. Anyone <laughs> have anything else they yeah. want to say? Okay. Real quick. Ryan, like, I had started. a favorite moment, like talking to Taj Washington, like okay. I mentioned before. That was cool. And pulling out the piece of paper. But another one, and uh, I got to ask in the press conference, Travis Dye about his third straight 100-yard game. And Eric Gentry was all smiles the whole time anyway, but the basic applauds like when he was doing that. And Shotgun mentioned in its analysis if any of the other teammates were in there, they would have applauded his effort. You know, The, the fact that we didn't even mention him as one of the impact transfers is shame on us. Um, he's been a huge part of this team, uh, the success that they've had on offense. They relied on him today. I think they relied on him a lot last week against Fresno State. The first play from scrimmage was a 26-yard run that he busted off. Um, he's just been uh, just a workhorse for this team. He goes out with an injury, and it doesn't look like he looks like he's in a lot of pain, and he comes back. You know, the, the fourth down touchdown run, um, the first score that USC had early in the fourth quarter, they really needed that. So that was a cool moment to see Eric Gentry kind of show, you know, give give uh, Travis Dye some props. Yeah, with the question. we should give him some flowers at this moment. And you're right. You know, there was that moment where he comes off the field, shoulder hanging, <laughs> hanging. And I've seen him come off the field a, a couple times this season where he is clearly beat up and he is not 100%. But then he comes right back out and just keeps running as hard as he was in the fir- for the first quarter. And that's kind of what you're getting with Travis Dye. Not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy, but damn it if he's not going to fight for every yard uh, that he can possibly get for this team. You saw it in that Fresno State run at the end there with you know Malcolm Ups blocking for him and him churned his legs. Got more of that tonight uh, with Travis Dye, who was the only real bright spot for this offense through the first three quarters. And it's nice to see him get get into the end zone there at the end, kind of uh, as Shotgun noted out, shoe flying uh, the Oregon State fans uh, off uh, off as he as he ran off and waved them off with Mario Williams. Shotgun, I'll let you have the final word on Travis Dye since we didn't get to speak with him, but please don't go thirty minutes. Yeah, I mean, I thought he had a great game once again. He does all the small things you're looking for. He avoids a lot of contact because he's not that big of a back, even though he's been banged up so far this season. He does a great job of falling forward, but not staying upright to where he takes a big hit. He did have a fumble, and, you know, that was the knock on him at Oregon was that he fumbled sometimes. Fumbled at the one-yard line. It could have been disastrous for USC. Could have been a safety on the play, even. You know, he runs into the back of Lake McCree, gets out of the, the end zone, crosses the goal line, fumbles the ball. I don't know who recovered it, but somehow USC comes up with a recovery there. Uh, it was kind of a crazy play. And then they get out of their, you know, the shadow of their goalpost with a third down pickup. So it was just kind of a, a crazy finish uh, or a crazy play there. But Travis died to get the fourth down touchdown or fourth down touchdown run there. Was, was huge when someone met him in the hole, you know, at the you know potential fourth down marker to, to be able to pick up the, the first down, and he runs through the tackle. And that's something he does really well, too, is he, you know, the first guy doesn't bring him down ever. And then, yeah, it was kind of cool to see him, you know, once he gets in the end zone, he just kind of shoes away the fans, like, come on, get out of here, go home. Uh, but obviously there was a lot more, there was a lot more game to go uh, because we had a dramatic fourth quarter, which was really fun. It was a great game. 
you know, it wasn't the, the cleanest game for USC, particularly on the offensive side, but a great game, great atmosphere, great college game. And to find a way to win on the road is huge for USC. You know, I think Lincoln Riley said road game, road wins are like gold. So, road conference games are like gold. There you go. So you know, USC now 2-0 on the road in conference play. So great start for them to Pac-12 play. And you, know, you build on things like this. It, it's a huge bonding experience as well to go on the road and find a way to win in an atmosphere like this was tonight. Yeah. And don't forget, Travis Dye played at Oregon. And he's been in, you know, he's played Oregon State. And it was a hated rival. So I, I feel we talked to him leading up to the game on Tuesday. It was Tuesday, yeah, I think it was on Tuesday. And uh, he wasn't admitting it, but, you know, you could tell this meant a little to him. This meant, you know, it meant something to him to play against Oregon State, to play in this, you know, the state that he played in for most of his college career. So, uh, you know, kudos to him for having another big game. And he said it was, even though he's played in this ri- that rivalry, he said this was one of the rowdiest Oregon State uh, crowds he's ever seen. Uh, probably the loudest one that they've ever had. So, you know, he, he's seen the that rivalry in, in, in a different fashion. So to see the, the way the atmosphere was tonight, he, even he was impressed by it. And that is going to wrap us up. It was a nice uh, way to get through a long drive back to Portland. Um, this is a Helium Boys production, roadcast, car cast, whatever you want to call it. I am Chris Trevino. Shotgun Spratling. Brian Abraham, your Lyft driver. And publisher of USCFootball.com. And we will catch you on the road somewhere else, probably Utah. That's quite, quite possibly right. Make sure you like and subscribe, guys. season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. You used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, tonight, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.